the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Monday, November 1st, 2021. 602-508-0960 is the number. In 1854, Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, Slavery is founded in the selfishness of man's nature, opposition to it in his love of justice. These principles are an eternal antagonism. And when brought into collision so fiercely as slavery extension brings them, shocks and throes and convulsions must ceaselessly follow. Repeal the Missouri Compromise. Repeal all compromises. Repeal the Declaration of Independence. Repeal all past history. You still cannot repeal human nature. Close quote. You cannot repeal human nature. Oh, but you can try, and you do it with trying to, as long as Lincoln put it nearly a 100 years before George Orwell did. You can erase history. By doing so, you can try to erase human nature. The Confederacy did this to justify slavery, transmogrifying the founders' views on equal and human rights and our Declaration of Independence so that they could justify slavery. It's eerily similar to the very same arguments in history you hear about the founders today, from the left, from the progressives, from the Ibram X. Kendis, from the BLM movement. Their view of the founding is exactly the same as the Confederacies, that the founders were either lying about men being equal or they didn't mean it. Lincoln and almost everyone, including Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr., and almost all our history books until about 30 years ago, they all knew differently. They knew better. The human nature thing is tricky. And you have to destroy a lot more history than 1776 to now try and repeal human nature. That would be why Professor Kendi, who says that you cannot be a capitalist and an anti-racist, who says that children are born seeing black and white, who says Amy Comey Barrett's adoption of a Haitian child is inappropriate and cultural appropriation, who says there should be a constitutional amendment to create a federal office of a department of anti-racism, that Ibram Kendi said this about his daughter. Quote, I think it was last week my daughter came home and said she wanted to be a boy. You know, which was horrifying for my wife to hear. Horrifying. And horrifying for myself to hear. And so, of course, we're like, okay, what affirmative messages about girlhood, you know, can we be teaching her to protect her from whatever she's hearing in our home or even outside of our home that would make her want to be a boy? He wasn't and will not be canceled for this. Remember, after all, in our new dispensation, black men and women cannot be guilty of discrimination. AT&T and among others teach that. He asks, what can we be teaching in our home that would make her want to be a boy? Well, where to begin? Let's stipulate I don't know anything about the Kendi's family life. But if Professor Kendi is someone who brings his work home with him, 
it might start with telling truth from fiction, and it might also start with an understanding of human nature, and it might start from an understanding that the world of binary choices is the world that has sustained Western civilization so that it could end up being the first civilization to venerate equality and rid itself of slavery. Male and female are, of course, among the first binary choices children are given to understand. Even as prior to that, parents usually try their best to instruct them in another set of binary opposites, right and wrong, and of course telling the truth versus telling lies. These are the first of the binary things children naturally and with parental instruction learn. But erase any meaningful, I should say all meaningful binaries and universals. Indeed, soak and sup in the world of my truth rather than the truth. And do not be surprised when other binaries become, other choices become matters of mere self-satisfaction, self-interest, and solipsism. Why, in short order, if the program continues, you could have 332 million versions of truth and falsehood in this country, or you could end up never even recognizing the truth at all. Recall where C.S. Lewis wrote the famous quote of his I'm about to cite. It was in a book titled The Abolition of Man. Think of that, The Abolition of Man. There he wrote, quote, we continue to clamor for those very qualities we are rendering impossible. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful, close quote. Of course, if C.S. Lewis only knew, men can menstruate and be moms who give birth, being birthing persons. And, of course, it fascinates me that the word person is still used, as in birthing person. For that, too, is a binary distinction. It may not be long-lived. It's a binary distinction, really, between personhood and God or personhood and animal. And this, this is why you cannot be more woke than Ibram Kendi and yet be shocked to find a traitor in your midst, in his daughter. And that's another interesting challenge about parents and children and this transgender business. I'm guessing most of the adults who favor it have never had a child who wants to take them up on it. Just as no slaveholder ever desired to be a slave, as Abraham Lincoln put it, and no proponent of abortion ever desired to be aborted, as Ronald Reagan put it. One might forgive an Ibram Kendi, and, uh, as his issue is race and not gender fluidity. But he swims, eats, breathes, teaches, publishes, operates in, and dictates much of the world where gender fluidity became and has become a thing. He couldn't, in other words, be more work, excuse me, he couldn't, in other words, be more woke in the modern usage of the word. If you had a picture of five of the most woke intellectual leaders in America, he'd be Primus Inner Paris. Now, one thing about Professor Kendi that deserves a little credit, he is not shy about the need to teach or double down on teaching critical race theory in our schools, while so many others deny its very existence in those elementary and secondary precincts. But to get us to any and all of this pusillanimous new world, one has to change history and lie about history, especially two kinds, American history 
and the history of every evil regime heretofore known. You can then reduce and criticize America more and better than any other civilization. So the lie reduces the achievement of America and elevates the savagery or diminishes the savagery, if you will, of everywhere else. And nowhere is this more true than in critical race theory. The former governor of Virginia trying to become the next governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, is still trying to repeat the lie that CRT is not taught in schools in Virginia. But lo and behold, this, a memo from the superintendent of public instruction in Virginia, dated February 2019, subject, quote, resources to support student and community dialogues on racism, close quote. And then an epigraph to the memo, a quote at the top of it. It's a quote from Ruby Bridges. It identifies her as a civil rights activist. The quote is this. My message is really that racism has no place in the hearts and minds of our children. Close quote. Immediately, anyone who knows history knows who Ruby Bridges is. A beautiful little girl captured in a painting by Norman Rockwell, bravely marching to school in New Orleans in 1960 with federal troops protecting her right to go to school. Now, one might justly say Ruby Bridges was the hero of civil rights in New Orleans by being the instantiation of integration. But you know how and why she could do this? Because an old white male, out of step with the times, and a Republican at that, named Eisenhower, dispatched federal troops to protect her and to integrate that school when the local police refused to do so. But before delving too much into that, please know that one of Ruby Bridges' most famous quotes is close to the one the superintendent used, but the superintendent missed her point totally, as he was recommending in his memo the teaching of Robin DeAngelo's works and all kinds of books teaching children they are racist if they are right. Ruby said this famously, quote, racism is a grown up disease. Let's stop using our kids to spread it, close quote. That's the quote that first pops up that she's most famous for on her foundation's website. Let's stop using our kids to spread it. It's a grown up disease. Meanwhile, Kendi and D'Angelo at Alia are promoting anti-racist baby, Kendi's book for kindergartners. And they're promoting all kinds of other instruction on racialism, too, and in our youth. It all reminds me of nothing so much as what Hannah Arendt wrote. Quote, a fantastic caricature of progressive education is abolishing the authority of adults and implicitly denying their responsibility for the world into which they have borne their children and refuses the duty of guiding them into it. Have we now come to the point, she asks, where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world? And do we intend to have our political battles fought out in the schoolyards? Close quote. It wasn't a happy thing when it was saddled on Ruby Bridges. But we are in a world where her history, as well as the rest of ours, is nothing but clay in the hands of the woke, where truth means zero. Originalism in thinking about the Constitution is what we hear about judges, justices, things like original intent. Please, how about originalism and original intent about the people who are still alive? I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
And it's talk radio, and we do too. We do it here as well. 602-508-0960. You may not be able to do it on social media. I just put something out on Twitter. We'll see if it gets taken down. It's an interesting thing. I've run it by the Hallmans as well, and we'll have them on tomorrow to talk more about it, unless you have anyone in the audience has insight. I have been uh, on the case of one of the lies of this administration. I know there's a lot to choose from, and I try and take several of them on. But one of them that I have, you've heard me take on, is the lies uh, having to do with the vaccine. And one of those isn't that hard to take on. There's a, there's a treasure trove of Biden audio about you know the vaccine um, being able to help stop the spread of COVID-19, uh, about the vaccine uh, protecting others. There's a lot, of, a lot of misinformation on this. And then my favorite, which is COVID is now a disease of the unvaccinated and that 99% of hospitalizations are of the unvaccinated. And you get that about deaths as well. It's a fun and happy talking point for Team Fear, but it's not true. It's not true. And it hasn't been in some time. And while a lot of the states are not reporting their breakthrough deaths and hospitalizations, that is to say the numbers or percentages of people who have been doubly vaccinated and end up in the hospital or dead anyway, uh, a lot of states don't report those. Some do. Uh, the CDC did. The CDC did. Now, granted, it was a seven to 10 day lag in reporting, but there was a site I went to every day to check for those updates. And I went there yesterday as I was thinking about the week ahead, and it was there. They had their numbers of people hospitalized, number of people hospitalized who have been doubly vaccinated, number of people who died who have been doubly vaccinated from or with COVID. Guess what? When I went to see if they had updated that 10-day-old statistic today, guess what the CDC did? Guess what the CDC did? You want to guess, Bill? You can you can guess. No. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. Right. Um, they just took it down totally. They stopped reporting it. They took those numbers. They even took the old numbers down. Now it is one big promotion for people to get vaccines. That's all it is. Now, I, I understand that's the business they're in, I suppose. And that's um that's uh, I, I have no problem with the government advocating a certain thing. I just think there should also be equally no problem with the people and the press being able to criticize or dissent from the government. In fact, that was the whole point of the First Amendment. It wasn't there to protect the government. It was there to protect the citizen so that he as was the First Amendment covering the press. It wasn't there to protect the government. The press was supposed to be there to investigate and, when necessary, criticize the government. The press and the government have now become one, leaving the citizen all to himself or herself to do their own investigative journalism, their own investigative inquiry. One of the sources people would use to do that would be government sources, government data. They have now robbed us of that opportunity. I'm guessing, I am guessing because it disturbs their other talking point and their sales pitch on the vaccine. It's their data. Their data was a 
sharp relief rebuke of the lies Joe Biden was telling and that Anthony Fauci was futzing around with. Because when you saw those numbers, you knew immediately that the vaccine was good for one thing and one thing only. And it wasn't stopping the spread. And it wasn't stopping transmission. It was about reducing the effects of COVID if you got it. It was about protecting you, not from COVID, but from having dire outcomes from COVID. And yet there were these breakthrough deaths and cases in the thousands or tens of thousands. There were these breakthrough deaths and cases. I'll just give you one statistic, and it's the only one you need to know, and it's still true. It's still true. With all this exercise about vaccinating our children, know this. Know this. Between seven and ten times the number, depends on the state, between seven and ten times the number of people who have died with COVID are people who have been doubly vaccinated versus children. Let me put it this way. Those who have been doubly vaccinated die at seven to ten times the rate of all children who have died with or from COVID since January of 2020. Seven times the number of children who have died since January 2020 from or with COVID have been doubly vaccinated, seven to ten times. And the government will now no longer see let you see those numbers. The federal government will no longer let you see those numbers because guess what those numbers are going to do? They're going to go up, not down. And it takes away the narrative that everyone must be vaccinated, including the young. It takes away that narrative. And yes, all it is is a narrative. That's all it is. This is not a disease that negatively affects the young in any greater degree than a lot of other things, including annual influenza. But there is a state and a party to protect, and there is a narrative that we must comply with. Well, not here. Not here. So I tweeted at Dr. Walensky, the head of the CDC, as well as whoever at the CDC reads their Twitter accounts, asking them why they took these numbers down and will they ever be put back up again? Or are we the people who they who they are supposed to be protecting and informing, are we the people not allowed to know these things? We were until yesterday. Well, today's a new day in the new state. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 after the hour, we get to do our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning. That website is grandcanyonplanning.com. He hosts his own radio show right here on 960 AM every Saturday morning at 7 AM, The Word on Wealth. What's the good word today, John? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. And for those out there who had a good day yesterday, happy uh, Halloween. Happy Halloween. We had, uh, Seth, I don't know if you've ever, I know you've been to Prescott, but 
Uh, we were up in Prescott, and we live on a street that they literally closed the street down for the trick-or-treaters. And, oh, did they? And the estimate from the police department, because they were monitoring everything, was an estimate between seven and 8,000 trick-or-treaters that we had. We were uh, serving candy for uh, – we had three stations at the house there, giving candy out for six straight hours. No kidding. What was What was the main candy on the bill of fare in the Dabrowski household? Oh, my gosh. We had all sorts of chocolates, you know, the, the Twix and the Snickers and the Milky Ways, all the, all the fun ones as well as lollipops and all sorts of fun you stuff. You said Twix, Snickers, and Milky Ways. Yeah, m and Only one of those. Mm-hmm. Only one of those is on the top ten. Is on the top ten. Well, you then snuck in M and M's at the end, so yeah. two of those with peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was a fun, fun Good. evening, and uh, we had a great time. So hopefully, everybody, uh, everybody wanted to get back to normal, you know, normalcy and having a Halloween again. Yep. There was no restrictions and. Uh, so it was fun. It was a good good time. It sounds like a good time. Tell me about this story. I didn't even know this was possibly on the chopping block, but mm-hmm. this backdoor Roth IRA that's uh, in the new uh, in the new uh, spending package. It looks like it's going to stay. I didn't realize it was up for grabs, but explain what this is. Well, actually, I think it's not. I think it's going to be excluded. Okay. Um, so the backdoor Roth uh, basically was is that most people, depending on your income and depending on contributions to an employer-sponsored plan, you may qualify to also contribute to a Roth IRA. And a Roth IRA, of course, is a, a contribution to a retirement account that you pay tax on in the year you make the contribution. And that's up to $6,000 if you're under the age of 50. If you're over the age of 50, you have an additional $1,000 you can contribute. So you could put $7,000 in to a Roth IRA, pay the tax in the year you make the contribution, and then all the growth moving forward is tax-free. So that's a nice benefit for anyone out there who is considering making a contribution to a retirement account. And depending on age is really the key factor here because if you're close to retirement or already in retirement, you may not really be able to make this contribution to a Roth because there's restrictions of having to keep it in there for at least five years before you take it out to maintain the tax-free status. Gotcha. Okay. Now, why is this something they're saying is only useful to or um, made utility of by the wealthy? Well, I mean, I think they're trying to stretch the story a little bit okay. thin here. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, there are those out there that may be able to truly benefit from this uh, by investing in a traditional IRA, paying the tax on it, and then converting it to a Roth IRA and calling it a backdoor because if you make over a certain amount of income, you cannot contribute to a Roth IRA. And if you um, can't contribute to the Roth, well, there's a, what they call a backdoor. If you're making more than $140,000, you can contribute to a traditional IRA, which is not tax deductible, and then do a conversion to a Roth. Those are, so there's a way to get there. Uh, and you know, the, the concern is, is that you're not going to pay tax on all that growth in the future, mm-hmm. Seth. And that's where I think people are having a challenge with this for the mega rich, they call it, uh, by converting large amounts, maybe in a 401k plan, as an example, over years, you've contributed to that and the growth, and then you convert it to a Roth and then all the future growth is tax free, but you do pay tax on all of the contribution and that initial growth. Well, that's what growth. I was confused about. Yeah. You're paying tax on sure. every dollar you've put away. Yep, yep. And you're paying now rather and, than yeah. later, right? Yeah. So the IRS would get their money today rather than later, but uh, they're concerned because you're going to make additional growth on that over many, many years. 
and it's not required for you to take out uh, distributions during your lifetime uh, if you have a Roth IRA, and that's a benefit, right? So I'm not mandated to pull money out of it, so therefore I'm not going to pay tax. And when I die, I pass it on to the next generation tax-free also. However, there is a distribution schedule that is mandatory for beneficiaries, even though it's tax-free income. You'll still play. You'll still have to pull money out of it to get that money back into circulation. So, JD, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, you cannot make a single dime in this country without the IRS wanting to to tax it. That's they, that's the point. That's that's. that's it's not the IRS. It's it's just the general government. The Democrats. Right. Yeah. I'll say the Democrats. All right. All right. Call me if you have questions on that. I'd like to talk about it. Of course, go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Bless you and Godspeed, John Dombrowski. Thank you. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602 If you haven't gotten your tickets yet for our event, America for Which It Stands, um, go now. They're going fast, 960thepatriot.com, November 16th at the Orpheum Theater. We're bringing in Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, and Charlie Kirk. Those three, <laughs> it reminds me of an old, uh, an old Texas staying. An old Texas saying, one riot, one ranger. These three men are an army. Uh, that's the army I would want in any intellectual battle. Any intellectual battle. That's the army. And we're bringing them here. Phoenix, November 16th, live. America for which it stands. Dennis Prager, Larry Elder, Charlie Kirk. November 16th, 960, com. Can't get this out of my head, really. And I, I, I first heard about it on the Prager Show. Haven't heard others commenting about it much. This statement, this quote by Ibram Kendi, Ibram X. Kendi of Boston University. You know, the man Jack Dorsey gave $10 million to. You want to hear it in your own words? Listen, listen to him. This is the banality of evil, and if you will, how someone can speak this kind of rot and junk thought as he does with such seeming placidity. Uh, go ahead, Bill. You know, obviously talking about race, even talking about gender. You know, I, I think it was last week my daughter came home and said she wanted to be a boy, you know, which was horrifying. Horrifying. Uh, for my wife to hear, myself to hear. And so, of course, uh, you know, we're like, okay, what affirmative messages about girlhood you know, can we be teaching her to protect her from whatever she's hearing in our home? Well, if you go to California, you can't take her to a department store to the pink section or to the pink toys or to the pink dresses because they banned that. They've banned pink and blue. Her. They've banned pink and blue in the California department stores by dint of a signature on a piece of legislation by Governor Gavin Newsom, which interestingly enough came after the recall election, not before. It's interesting. It's interesting when you when you shoot for the king in electoral politics, um, you better you better aim right and you better win because the king will come back at you pretty hard. And the king did. The king did. Now, Ibram Kendi knew he was in trouble once that uh, Zoom call 
he was paid handsomely to be on went viral. So what did he do? He tweeted out an article, an, opin- an op-ed, an opinion piece by Megan Rapino uh, about transgender children. And he selected this quote from her to highlight, quote, when we tell transgender girls that they can't play girls sports or transgender boys that they can't play boys sports, they miss out on these important experiences and opportunities. And we lose the right to say we care about children. We lose the right to say we care about. There are a lot of cares to have about children. One of them is, of course, that boys compete against boys and girls compete against girls so that there isn't an unfair physical disadvantage or advantage. Another is that we don't assault children's common sense about these binary divisions in our world. And how about the third? How about the third? That sometimes it shows caring about children that we don't engage with them on lifelong, critical, physical, distorting, and destructive decisions that will be with them the rest of their lives that are made before their brains are even fully developed. And then perhaps one more. How about the right to say we care about our children so much so that we don't want girls going into boys' bunks and bathrooms and boys going into girls' bunks and bathrooms. Maybe something about protecting the children or caring about children might be subsumed under that concept, Megum. Maybe. Just maybe. Heather, Herring, uh, Heather Haying in her book, in her new book, put it this way. It is a fine needle to thread giving children enough space to make their own decisions and mistakes and protecting them from real danger. Our societal pendulum has swung too far to one side to protecting children against all risk and harm, such that many who come of age under this paradigm feel that everything is a threat and they need safe spaces and that words are violence. By comparison, Children with exposure to diverse experiences, physical, psychological, and intellectual, learn what is possible and become more expansive. It is imperative that children experience discomfort in each of these realms, physical, psychological, and intellectual. Absent that, they end up full-grown but confused about what harm actually is. They end up children in the bodies of adults. I can't think of a greater crime. We talk about, and society is pretty universally agreed upon, the inherent and extra special invidiousness of harm that comes to children or harm that is brought upon children or harm that is engendered or taken in by children. Society's pretty good about that, at least in ranking it as an order of magnitude worse than harm that might come to adults. We give an extra layer of sympathy and protection to our children. But it's a funny thing when it comes to this transgender issue. It's a funny thing when it comes to the very essence and nature of their humanhood that we have put them in charge and them in control and by them, I mean eight and nine-year-olds, nine-year-olds, eight and nine-year-olds, 
was an eight-year-old that graced the cover of National Geographic on the January 2018 issue on this point. It's an eight-year-old that the National Geographic wanted to use to promote transgenderism. On this one issue, we bow to them. Wilford Riley, our good friend over at uh, Kentucky State University, he says it's an interesting thing, this gender dysphoria in children. It's the only ailment, it's the only ailment in which the person who has, a, has it, the person who suffers from it, the person who has to deal with it, is to be believed against all other science and adulthood. It's the only one. It's the only one. And you're allowing these eight- and nine-year-olds to do things to them that will have lifelong consequences. Lifelong. And I don't really understand it, honestly. I really don't understand the granting of this kind of power or moral or intellectual authority to eight- and nine-year-olds on nothing else. I mean zero. On nothing else. Do we allow them to make these decisions or even take them seriously? We have stronger opinions about children and tattoos than we do about children and changing their sex. Shame on us. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I don't know if you've heard about or read about the controversy over at Southwest Airlines. Um, at this point, it would just be good if we could get them to take off and land uh, when they say they will. And uh, I know a lot of Southwest employees, I can tell you they're as frustrated, and in many cases even more so than, um, than, than we the customers. It would be nice if airlines could, uh, could do this. I have my um, my own reasons for believing that um, when you look outside, oh, just take today, a day that American Airlines canceled a lot of flights. Yesterday, when they canceled even more flights, stranding, I don't know, something like 20,000 passengers nationwide. When they blame the weather, you have to wonder if um, if, 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 if the new theology of the day isn't just erasing yesterday, as George Orwell said – but erasing what's before your very own eyes. In any event, um, evidently, evidently, uh, Carol, one Carol Long, who writes for the AP, was on a Southwest flight where she said she heard the pilot say, let's go Brandon, over the PA system as he was signing off. And um, she tried to go up and talk to the pilot. Where's the pilot? In the cockpit. What do you know about going up to talk to pilots when the cockpit is closed? Yeah. Yeah. She uh, she created quite the scene and almost got herself arrested by uh, trying to uh, get into that cockpit. And now we're not so sure it even ever happened. Now we're not so sure it even ever happened. Although Southwest has put out a statement saying that they denounce it. It may not have happened. It is according to one person, an AP reporter, who cannot give us other witnesses who heard it. Um, 
Let's assume it's true for a moment. Let's assume a pilot did say, let's go, Brandon. Let's just say he did. Drew Holden has the right response. Here it is. If a single pilot sharing a political opinion you don't agree with on a flight that you aren't on sends you into a tizzy, you should imagine what it must be like when the entire corporate universe does this for years on end on countless issues. Some of us don't have to imagine. Wow. Yeah. I suppose Bill and me and everyone in this audience can listen to several corporations as big and famous and bigger and more famous than Southwest yelling at us messages we don't like. I'm guessing this one AP reporter, even if the story about Southwest is true, I'm guessing she could handle it. And if she can't, she has no business calling herself a reporter because you know why? She's reporting on the wrong things. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.